Hello and welcome to Bite Bite Chats Books. This week we're turning our gaze from the corridors of Westminster to the banlieue of Paris as we examine the beautiful game. Our guest this week is esteemed football journalist Matt Spiro, who has followed the fortunes of Les Bleus for over 15 years and who joined us in the studio, pre-coronavirus, to chat about French wonderkind Kylian Mbappe, English versus French football and his experiences of reporting the game. Welcome Matt. Thank you for joining us. So if you could provide a bit of an overview of your background and how you got into football-based journalism. Yes, so how did I get into football journalism? I um, studied economics at university and uh, wasn't necessarily aiming towards journalism at that point but quickly realised that I wasn't uh, necessarily cut out for a life in finance and I was always very sports obsessed and uh, used to used to enjoy writing um, for, for various uh, publications um, and I was fortunate enough to get a job working for a website, it was back in 2000 when I graduated and I, I worked for a website called onefootball.com, it was during the, uh, the internet boom and um, and it was a good website and I was lucky enough to meet a lot of very good journalists there. So I sort of got my training and got my grounding on the job, as it were. And yeah, already had uh, a bit of uh, a liking of, uh, of France and French football. I, I spent uh, my summer in France during the World Cup in 1998. And for this, uh, it was a pan-European website, onefootball.com, and I worked on French football for them. So when I got an opportunity to move to Paris in 2002, I... I jumped at the chance. I worked for Eurosport for a short period and then I freelanced and uh, and I'm still there today. Did you teach yourself French when you moved? No, I did learn French at university. I did French uh, for A-level and it was a small part of my course. I did economics with French um, for my degree. So I had a year, I had an Erasmus year um, in Paris. So I already knew Paris a little bit and my French was okay, but not as good as it should have been and uh, a lot of people at Eurosport spoke to me in English all of the time so I was lucky that I met a, a lovely lady who who is French and who I married and um, that kind of got my French up to scratch. So do you feel like the I guess having now lived in France for about 10 years do you feel like the culture of football is a lot is markedly different in France than it is to the UK? Well I've lived in France for 18 years now oh, so wow. yeah I'm feeling my age a bit but no the French football culture is is definitely different to the English football culture I mean football football in France doesn't uh, doesn't have the sort of you know culture that is deeply rooted in in in, in England you know we know that the English club game was was huge already in in, in the 19th century the English invented football etc football in France was seen um, more as a uh, a working class sport that the middle class people in France frowned upon and didn't openly admit that, that they followed. So it all changed in, uh, in 1998 when France won the World Cup and football became very, very fashionable and cool. Exactly. And um, it became acceptable, actually, for businessmen to start reading L'Equipe newspaper on the, uh, on the underground. They didn't have to, to hide their copies. So I, I'd say it doesn't have the deep-rooted club culture that there, that there is in England. It's also a sport that has been heavily influenced by by immigration in France and uh, France back in the uh, days of colonization co- well colonized a lot of big footballing countries whether that be um, in Africa or elsewhere and that has you know significantly influenced uh, the French game because they've brought over their own football cultures and France is very much a melting pot of uh, of those different those different nations 
I know in the UK there are some problems with racism in the game and there's like an ugly side to it. Is that the same in France as well? Yeah, I think it, it, it's present, unfortunately, in, uh, in a lot of societies. I think the problem of, uh, of racism probably manifests itself differently in France. I think something that's quite important to, to underline or, or to emphasise is that football, I think, gives opportunities to people from all walks of life a lot a lot more than other sections of, of society. And I think if you look at society in France, there is still a big issue with diversity insofar as most of the high responsibility positions are held by, by middle-class men. It, it is changing. And in football, I would say it is also an issue. If you look at the federations, if you look at, at the French League, there is still a problem with diversity. If you look at the number of black or um, North African coaches in France there are very very few besides Patrick Vieira who's coaching at at Nice this season there aren't any other black or North African coaches despite the fact that in the 90s and in the noughties a huge number of wonderful footballers of different cultures so that suggests that there is still an issue and that people from different cultures within the French game have have difficulties moving up to different positions once once they've retired and uh, that's something that that is addressed and discussed uh, in the book. So talk about the book. Uh, can you give me a bit of an overview of what it's about? Yes, absolutely. Well, the book tells the story of the French national team from 1998, when they first won the World Cup, to 2018, when they won the uh, second World Cup. It reflects on um, on the impact, really, that Les Bleus, the national team, have on society, because it is a, a real institution, the French uh, national team, in France and um, it tells that story um, in some respects through the eyes of Kylian Mbappe who was born in 1998 and starred in the 2018 win who is from um, a very multicultural background who grew up in in a very tough environment in uh, Seine-Saint-Denis which is um, a département, a region northeast of Paris that has many of the um, the toughest and uh, impoverished suburbs and uh, is an incredible breeding ground of footballers. A huge number of footballers come from the uh, from the Paris suburbs. I mean, so, so the book explores a lot of these a lot of these elements. I mean, it is essentially a football book, and I explain why France have uh, had some incredible highs, notably winning two World Cups and a European Championships, but also some uh, extraordinary lows, whether that be. Um, player strikes at the World Cup in uh, 2010 when the players were were refusing to train because one of their buddies, one of their players, Nicola Anelka, had been uh, had been sent home for for arguing with the uh, with the coach. There have been a host of scandals as well that have that, that have rocked French football, and uh, I, I I just think it is a fascinating um, a fascinating subject which shouldn't necessarily seen be seen as a reflection of the issues in French society, but quite often is by French politicians. In 1998, it was this uh, sensational multicultural team was seen as a, a beacon for society and an example of, of what a multicultural society can do in France when everyone gets on and, and, and works towards the same cause. But by that same token, when there were problems, people then started saying, well, this is an issue. Yeah, this is, look at the kids. They're all, you know, from, from these rough suburbs of Paris. And this shows the problems we have in our society. So talking about like the multiculturalism, uh, Mbappe is very much, you know, he's the rising star in the French team, uh, and you decided to base a lot of your book or frame it through his yeah. experience. 
Uh, what do you find so compelling about him? He's very much the rising star of French football, but I think uh, he's he's the rising star of, of world football. And I think a lot of people expect him, myself included, to, to go on and become the best footballer in the world. He's, he's currently 21 years of age. Um, he's already been playing first-team football for, for five years. He has broken all the... Um, the records in terms of his precocity and he's he's already way ahead of what Lionel Messi and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo had achieved at that same age but uh, in terms of who he is and and his you know obviously his background i just think he's a very symbolic figure in uh, in France because he does have a that multicultural background his his mother was a professional uh, sportsman she uh, was in, originally from Algeria she played handball at a professional level Killian's father, Wilfred, was a former footballer as well from Cameroon, played at a good level and uh, is now a youth team coach and he was Kylian Mbappe's first coach. So, you know, he, he has that very diverse background in terms of his parenting, but also in terms of where he grew up because Bondi is, uh, is a suburb in the middle of Seine-Saint-Denis which has had its fair share, more than its fair share of... Uh, of social problems and continues to suffer from high unemployment rates and high crime rates but it is also this fascinating melting pot of cultures and I, and I found it just so interesting spending time there talking to people who are there and and sensing this fantastic pride that they have that the you know that the most wanted player the most liked player in world football is is one of their own and very much associates himself with Bondi and uh, and that's interesting in France a lot of people are saying well Killian's well, he's already got a big head and um, he behaves like some some prima donna nobody in Bondi will say that to you they all say no he's just a very proud kid he knows how good he is and he was like that even from the beginning they stay loyal well absolutely and he and he stays loyal to them I mean he does uh, I think a lot of footballers do, do do a lot of good work and a lot of them don't don't necessarily talk about it but Killian tries to be tries to be discreet it's not very easy given his notoriety but he does work with the with with the hospitals uh, in in bondi notably the children's hospital he um has just launched uh, an association to help young children through their education in not just in bondi but in sen sandini the whole region and uh, he's you know obviously launching big lucrative deals notably with with uh, nike He's just done that at the moment, but the clothing range he has brought out with Nike is called Bondi Dreams, and it's all about, you know, his his roots and the fact that you can achieve a lot from humble beginnings. So you said you went into the area to kind of get some research about for the book. Uh, what kind of research did you do, and also what was the most interesting thing you learned whilst writing it? Yeah, I mean, what's interesting, I have lived in Paris for eighteen years, but you, I, I don't know the suburbs. That's the thing, you know. People talk about. In fact, in the book, I call them les banlieues more than I do the, the suburbs, because in the UK, the suburbs are seen as kind of plush, leafy areas that you go to when, you, when you've got a bit of money. In France, it's very much where the, uh, the immigrants were, not, not where they were sent to, but where they set up their, their communities during the um, post-Second World War rush of, of, of immigration. Now, um, the fact is, French society, whether it be the media, the politicians, they don't set foot in, in the suburbs either. Um, so people don't really know what life is like out there. And these areas are very, very much stigmatised by the press. And people sort of seem to think it's full of full of thugs, full of um, you know, drug pushers and what have you. And, um, you know, immediately when I went out there, you, you know, you're struck by the feeling, well, actually, this is this is a really nice place. And I don't want to say everything's fantastic. Yes, there are lots of high rise buildings. 
uh, I was pretty much, you know, the only white face. The ice, well, I didn't see my own face, but you know what I mean. That, that, you know, it's, it's very black, North African, but also Indian, Pakistani. Um, you have Kurds, you have, you have people from all over the world. And uh, I had this sort of warm community sense there. And it was completely the opposite of what everybody was, was saying. Like, oh, you're going to Bondi. Oh, be careful. Um, are you sure you want to take your car? And, you know, the reality of these places is, is, is very different. There are a lot of fantastic people, a lot of very friendly people. I mean, I, obviously, I went to the football uh, stadium, the, the football club AS Bondi, which is where Killian spent his early years and where his dad worked for, for many years coaching. And everybody was really excited to, to, to see an English journalist who was uh, reporting on their story and uh, yeah I, I just felt so so welcome there I went to to Chelsea to see Olivier Giroud and I couldn't have sort of had a colder kind of experience Aww. and uh, you know nothing against Chelsea they helped me in setting up in setting up the interview but uh, and it's obviously you can't compare Bondi with a with a Premier League football club but uh, yeah that was that was a really sort of enlightening experience is that what was the second part of your question? What what what, what <laughs> did I enjoy? What was the most learned, interesting thing? Yeah, that that does sound quite striking. That, I mean, yeah, that I I think that was interesting. I think that was the most interesting thing. I mean, with the French national team, there is there's a lot of fascinating stories. But you know, I've been reporting on them for 18 years, and it's not that I knew everything. I mean, you know, I talked to guys who were in the dressing room, Marcel Desailly, Emmanuel Petit, uh, people who told me fascinating stories about what had happened and hopefully give give the book some depth but actually getting the chance to to go out and to talk to people who um yeah live in a very different world i was speaking to a swiss journalist who uh, who compared paris and in uh, and the suburbs to, to east and west germany sort of saying it's kind of like they live in this sort of fairly bleak um part of of, of paris you know once you go past the other side of the periphery it's like you're in east germany and all the riches and every you know everybody leading this wonderful life inside of of paris but um once you get past that stereotype and do you actually talk to people and realize that they are like all of us just trying to to make the most of of, of their life it's um yeah it's it, it, it was quite enlightening it sounds like an exploration of uh, french football's roots as it were almost absolutely i mean you know the the, the this this area, and it's not just one area, they're obviously the suburbs in the, in the south of Paris, but let's just say uh, the Paris suburbs, they provide more footballers for the top leagues in Europe than any other area in the world. It was always said that it was Sao Paulo and uh, Rio and the favelas that produce all, all, all the best footballers. Brazil and Argentina continue to produce a huge number, but actually France is the first country to have more than 100 representatives uh, this season in the top four leagues in Europe, Germany, England, Italy and Spain. It's the first time any nation has gone over the 100 mark. So actually France is the premier exporter of elite talent and the vast majority of them grew up, you know, whether it's Paul Pogba or N'Golo Conte, more recently Tongi Ndombele who went to Tottenham, they're all from the Paris suburbs and they all, yeah, they, they all learnt their trade playing with kids from a totally different backgrounds and and I think it's given them this 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 terrific grounding yeah so who do you see as like the next rising star in French football I guess Mbappe is already really yeah he's old news Mbappe yeah. isn't he 21 and uh, <laughs> yeah already old news well I mean that's the great thing about Ligue 1 and, you know there are things that are great about the Premier League there's a lot of money and you know the Premier League and La Liga they have most of 
France's best players. They don't have Kylian Mbappe yet. That, that might change. What is great about Ligue 1 is uh, that the clubs are fantastic at developing young talent. They have to do it economically because their economic model is essentially based on selling footballers. But they have incredible raw materials, if I can describe people as raw materials. And... Um, and they have wonderful expertise in uh, in developing talent. We saw that in the 90s. I talk uh, a lot about it. Everything Gerard Houllier set up at, at Clairefontaine in the 90s was the um, source of France's success initially. And they've taken that expertise forward. Um, so in, in Ligue 1 at the moment, there are some phenomenal talents. And they play. That's, that's the other difference. There are some wonderful talents in England. But it's very difficult for them to break into Premier League teams because... The standard is extremely high. The pressure is extremely high, and they already have you know top stars from all over the world. This season in France, we've seen a 16-year-old. Well, he's turned 17 now, Eduardo Camavinga. Now, this is definitely a name that you need to to, to remember. He plays for Rennes. Broke into the Rennes side at the age of 16. He was born in Angola, moved to France at the age of two, and uh, he's already playing for France under 21s. Um, he's already being strongly linked with with Real Madrid, and there's a lot of talk as to whether. Real Madrid will sign him in the summer at the age of 17 or whether he will continue his development as Mbappe has done for a few years in France. But I would say certainly Eduardo Camavinga and another 16-year-old, um, even younger than Camavinga, uh, Ryan Cherky, who is um, an extremely talented young boy playing for Lyon these days and has a lot in common with Kylian Mbappe, actually. It's, it's very interesting. Their backgrounds are, are very similar. They both have... Uh, let me try and get this right. They both have at least one Algerian parent or a parent of Algerian origins. Both of their fathers played football at a high level. And while Cherky's dad isn't a football coach, he's very well known in, in, in amateur circles. And in both cases, neither Mbappe nor Cherky have taken on an agent. Their parents are looking after their careers. And I think that's, that's very interesting and it's perhaps what we're going to see more and more of. And I think is extremely beneficial for Kylian Mbappe because obviously his parents are interested in money like we all are but they above all have got Kylian's interests at heart and they have made it clear that he needs to start his career in France and not at the age of 17 or 18 move to Real Madrid and you know suddenly be in competition with Cristiano Ronaldo and you know players it basically going to keep you on the substitutes bench and Ryan Cherky I think has a has a similar mentality and a similar sort of desire to prove himself in France first. Is that what you think that uh, English clubs could be doing better in terms of coaching young talent? I think it's a big problem, yeah. I think mm. it's a big problem in England. You see, uh, recently we've seen Liverpool you know, absolutely phenomenal this season and uh, there have been a couple of uh, cup games where Jurgen Klopp has decided to, to play the kids and we've had the chance to see Liverpool's kids and, and, and they're terrific. And a lot of them are 18 or 19. The problem is you see them for one or two games, then they disappear. These these kids would be playing regular football week in, week out in France. And I think at 18, 19, you need to be playing regular football. And actually, Arsene Wenger uh, had the pleasure of uh, speaking to him for the book. And in his forward, he explains that for him, obviously, he knows the Premier League very well. It is a big problem in, in England these days that the talent isn't getting the game time it needs. And now, we've seen in the last couple of years, young English players moving abroad to play in the Bundesliga. Jadon Sancho is the obvious and, and, and the best example. And I think English players need to do that more and more, need to be brave and, and take the plunge and go and have a year in France. Uh, we've got a young Englishman in Dijon at the moment playing in France, Steffi Mavididi, 
who um, is a former Arsenal kid, and, and he's doing really well. And that is how that's how you develop. Unfortunately, playing for the under twenty threes, it's just not going to give you the experience that that will help you develop. I guess that's the problem when there's a lot so much money going into the Premier League. It's hard to take risks. Yeah, the clubs, you know, it, it's 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 a problem, but it's it's also obviously a huge positive that they have so many wonderful footballers. Um, but Premier League clubs just cannot afford really to. It's not. It is, in a sense, it's risk, but it's also sort of a question of time because players, you know, an 18-year-old, a 17-year-old, he probably won't be brilliant in his first couple of games, but you need to invest time in him. And, yeah, that that is the issue. The Premier League clubs don't have the time and a manager knows that if he has four or five bad results, he's going to be under pressure to keep his job. So he's not going to pick a 17-year-old. So segueing back to France then, so the next kind of big date in the calendar is the 2020 Euros. Yep. So, how do you rate France's chances for that? I think they've got, I think they've got a fantastic chance. Um, I think Didier Deschamps has probably more talent at his disposal than any other national team manager. That said, they've had a very tough draw. They're going to have to go and play Germany in Germany. They're playing Portugal, another very very strong side. So it's, it's going to be difficult. But I think there is a real confidence in the France camp. The fact that they won the World Cup and ended an 18-year trophy drought. Because before then, and even during the World Cup in Russia, there was this sense that something's going to go wrong. It, it always does. And the group stage wasn't great in Russia. But then the you know the turning point, I think, was the, the 4-3 win over Argentina. And uh, they just went from strength to strength. And once you've crossed that psychological barrier and you have and you have the talent, I think you, you can go on. But what France will need will be to maintain the spirit that they had in... Uh, in 2018 because Didier Deschamps worked extremely hard to get that sort of collective strength get these individuals players like Paul Pogba and Antoine Griezmann fantastic indi- individuals working for the for the team cause and uh, you know you, you've got the talent but it's not always the most talented team that, that win tournaments French hopes are high though I imagine French hopes well yes yes the French you know they're, they're confident at, at the worst of times so yeah. going into this tournament <laughs> As, as world champions, they are supremely confident, but there are some warning signs. Look, France came down to earth with a bump in 2002 when they'd won back-to-back tournaments. And uh, as Lilian Turam tells me in the book, they were terribly complacent and didn't prepare as they should have. And that's the issue, because if you're going to win a tournament, you've got to, you've got to be good, but you've also got to be so determined and fight so hard. And if you're not ready to do that, you won't win the tournament. So, look, the French... The French are probably overconfident, but the players won't be. And I don't think Didier Deschamps will, will allow that. Will allow, I, the, the only concern, there are concerns. You know, Paul Pogba's missed much of the season with, with an injury. Antoine Griezmann's had a, a tough time at, at Barcelona. Um, these guys need to, need to get in good shape. Um, there are one or two other important players. I mean, Ousmane Dembele has been ruled out through, through injury. So they're not necessarily going into it in the best uh, possible conditions but like I said there's a reservoir of talent that is that is very very deep and Deschamps you know he, he has the tools so before we sign off I have to ask uh, do you have a favourite football team English French listen my favourite English team is I think they are still the most French English team that is uh, as the French say Arsenal also known as Arsenal so <laughs> um, yeah yeah, I have a weak spot, let's say, for Arsenal Football Club. And in terms of France, my wife is, is from Marseille. So uh, I always 
I always liked Olympique de Marseille because their stadium is just phenomenal. I was there in in '98 when England played Tunisia and, and won two 0 and uh, I was there in 2004 when when OM, as they are known in uh, in Marseille, they defeated Liverpool and Inter and Newcastle reached the 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 UEFA Cup final and the the passion down in Marseille is unbelievable. You know, we talk about French teams and French regions perhaps not being as football obsessed as. Uh, places in England but Marseille is a real football hotbed the atmosphere at the vel- velodrome is phenomenal oh well thank you very much for chatting to me that's, pleasure that's it thank you very much <laughs> thank you thanks for making it to the end of another Bike Back podcast Matt's book Sacre Bleu is out today and can be ordered on bikebackpublishing.com before you go though, why not click subscribe? You'll be able to listen to our podcasts as soon as they're out and get your dose of bite bag goodness. Goodbye for now.